Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you'll be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. If you've been inspired by the guests that we've had on the podcast, please like, subscribe, comment, hit notification bells, whatever you can do on the platforms that you're listening on, so that more people have the opportunity of hearing these and engaging in our community. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today is Rachel Tucker. Rachel, for people that don't know who you are, can you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? Um, I live here in California, and uh, I have a ministry for pregnant teens and young moms, and uh, I think our mutual connection is uh, evangelism and a heart for the world. So um, I've been very grateful to be connected to this wonderful family for more than 20 years. And um, so, yeah, we're an evangelistic organization um, for young moms. And so we are a support ministry um, that has three primary goals. First is um, the women that we serve um, all have some level of financial need. They could just come from a family that, um, that has some financial challenges or they could, you know, be homeless and living outside. So it, there's a very wide range of what their need is, but we want to help them get the things that they need to take care of their children in a safe way. So, um, you know, for instance, here in the United States, there's strict laws about car seats and, um, you know, the requirements for weight and everything of when a child is in a car. Uh, but when you don't have money, then sometimes people will put, you know, baby or toddler child just down on the ground, uh, the floorboard of the car to avoid the police seeing them so that they won't be ticketed. But it's not safe for children. Or, or children, um, you know, sometimes there could be five people in a bed. And uh, for an infant, that could be not safe. So making sure that people have, um, you know, babies have food to be nourished and, um, and diapers and um, the kind of baby here that, that keeps them safe. Um, the second thing that we do is... We have a series of life skills education, and those are things that um, it's really about parenting. It's really about pouring into this generation tools that will make them effective moms. Um, and so we teach, you know, financial planning and how to uh, care for children. Um conflict resolution, all those kinds of things. But a real big uh, core for that is wanting to prevent violence against women and violence against children. And then our third goal is to open the door for these moms to have a relationship with the world. And then uh, for people that hear this, if they want to find out more, uh, do you have a website, something like that, that they could go to? Yes, it is Cherish, C-H-E-R-I-S-H, ministry.org okay and we'll put that link in the description so if you're interested in finding out more go there 
uh, and uh, see what they're doing. Maybe see how you can uh, get plugged in, support them. Um, but yeah, so it's there ready for you to go check out. So how long has Cherish been going? I mean, I should imagine it was something that unfolded rather than started with a big bang. Can you take us back to the beginning or as near to the beginning as you can? Yes. So <clears throat> I was at, we were going to, to a new church, which is the church that we're at now. And they had like a, you know, introduction type of thing. And the leader over, the head over uh, outreach came to us and said, you know, um, we've heard about you, that you have been in ministry before. And so if there's a ministry that we're not doing that you want to start, you know, just let us know and we'll support you. And um, that didn't exactly turn out to be how that all bounced but you know it was a beautiful statement um and so I just blurted out like um I'd like to start a ministry for teen moms and then I was like what what in the world where did that come from so that was a bizarre incident but I just left that alone and um so we used to do urban ministry in Los Angeles um in uh, what's known as the housing projects. So this is free government housing. And, you know, it was a lovely idea in the 60s, but it has been horrific in implementation. So um, the violence in these neighborhoods are is very, very intense. Um, you know, drugs, um, the gang warfare. So um, it really came out of a place of compassion, um, but it's been terrible. So Micah used to do children's ministry um, in a number of these in in LA. And um, there was a girl and her mom had died of cancer. Her dad had been in prison um, all of her life, really. And she was... You know, she was trouble. She could create problems. Even when she was 12 years old, she was fighting adults. And But she was so lovable. And so Micah and I were both, you know, really drawn to her. And um, she, she considered us family. And I was pregnant with my son, Elijah, when she was pregnant. Now, she was a teenager when she was pregnant with her son. But we both had our boys within a few weeks of each other. And we were pregnant with our daughters um, at the same time as well. So it was just one of those things that even though I was older, she was younger. We had another connection point. So she was, you know, a really, really tough girl. Um, And one day I got a call and she, um, she was sobbing uncontrollably and couldn't speak. So um, I call those the, the Christ scream calls. So you, you, you answer the phone and say hello. And the person's just screaming like in, you know, in agony. And you have no idea what's happening on the other end. Um, and so I'm just waiting and waiting. And, you know, it really hit me so hard because she was such a tough person. And for her to be in this level of agony. And so, you know, she had had a new relationship, not either of her children's fathers. 
with someone that she thought was the sun, the moon, and the stars. And um, one day he got angry at her. He loaded a gun and had her get down on her knees and he put the gun up to her head. And um, so she was begging him to not kill her in front of her kids because both her kids were there. Her her uh, aunt had just been killed by her partner in a, in a very gruesome way. So it's like within two weeks. And um, he didn't listen. He pulled the trigger and the gun jammed. And then he reset the gun and pulled it again and, and the gun jammed. So she had called the police, which was a very big thing for her because she came from a neighborhood where you never call the police. Um, and they have found him and arrested him, but she, she literally was so traumatized that she couldn't talk. Um, and so in this moment where she's, she's screaming and convulsing, the Lord spoke to me and he said, this is happening all around you, but you don't know them. And so that was the call um, to start Cherish. And really what God put inside of me is that, you know, if a person, if, if a woman in our, in our community has a gun put to her head or is stabbed or is raped or is thrown out of a moving car, does she have a Christian's phone number on her phone? And for the vast majority, the answer is no. And so I felt the call for the, for the mothers that were out there that were the most vulnerable, which young moms um, statistically are the most vulnerable group. Then having a close enough relationship with them that when they're, if they have, you know, the equivalent of a landmine in their life, they are close enough to at least one Christian to call, to get prayer, to get support, to get connected to people who will help in their healing process. And for the, the outreaches that the churches do, many of them are not relationally based and someone who's at the in the most difficult season of their life doesn't have anyone that they know well enough to call. So that was really the beginning of Cherish. Well, that, that is, for a thousand reasons, absolutely brilliant. Because usually the response is, let's set up an organization. Let's open at these times. Let's have... People coming and going, what day are you going to be on? What day are you going to be on? And like you say, there is no relational connection and therefore there's no safety. And if there's no safety, they're not going to speak up and they're not going to ask for help. That is a brilliantly creative opening for the ministry. So that's how it started. Take us forward a bit, Um so we had a, you know, it was really sequential and God really gave me um, the sequence of how it was going to develop 
What's interesting is that I lost the paper that I had <laughs> written this on, found it years later, and that was the exact sequence of what God had done. So um, our church had a food warehouse. I started bringing people food. Um, then we started with a, with a meeting, as you said. Um, and then eventually uh, opened a center. Um, but this whole process um, has stayed relational. And every mom at Cherish has my phone number. And I, and I tell her, like, God's going to connect your heart to, to various volunteers. You go and ask them, can I have your phone number? Um, we have a girl at Cherish, and she... Um, you know, her, her mom tried to kill her in a really horrific way when she was a child, five years old. And um, so she, she suffers from very, very intense panic attacks. And um, she called me. She felt like she, you know, was going to, you know, didn't want to live. I didn't know where my phone was and uh, so I didn't discover that she had called for like four more hours, but she had connected with uh, the person who's over prayer at Cherish just the week before and put her phone number in her phone. When she didn't get me, she called the prayer person. The prayer person stayed on the phone, stormed heaven. They ended up watching uh, the chosen together. The light bulbs came on. God came into this situation. She she found peace, but she had two Christians phone numbers on her phone. And so, um, you know, it, it is uh, it is so important the relational aspect, especially for people who don't have a parent to call. You know. In this generation, we know that it's fatherless, but a lot of people are motherless as well. Um, you know, where the, the mother is, I, I, it's just crazy, literally, what, um, what some of these mothers do. I remember one, one cherished mom, her, her daughter was a teenager. She was pregnant. She had two siblings. The mom left. She just went to Las Vegas to be with a guy that she met and she left her kids, you know, no rent money, no, no capacity for them to carry on or exist. And this girl was pregnant. She wasn't eating because she was saving the food for her younger siblings who she, you know, just inherited by her mom's departure. So um, that's why the relationship component is so important because I got to come in there and say, number one, we're going to connect, you know, connect you with, with some different help organizations to stabilize your family, make sure you have food and can survive um, this horrific thing that your mom did. Um, but also the knowledge to say, uh, if you don't eat, this can be harmful for your body and for your baby. So you can't not eat to prioritize your siblings. That's not the solution. But if that person were invisible in society, 
and didn't have a person who's intersecting this moment, then it could have gone very differently. Mm. Your churches often say that they're places for broken people. And, uh, and my sister uh, works with anti-human trafficking stuff. And, you know, often our, our kind of follow up to that is, well, just how broken are you talking about? Um, because they, it's a nice phrase to say, we're, we're a place for broken people to whatever degree that is, but uh, they don't necessarily know what that means when you get to the, the really broken, uh, yep. the rescued from human trafficking, the, you know, those that have gone through horrific traumatic experiences, some of the people that you, you have to work with. And um, how do you, with your volunteers, the people that, that work with you in this, how do you equip them for that kind of thing? And even, you know, when you're exposed to some of these horrific stories, it can then really have a big impact on you and how you deal with that emotionally and things like that. So how do you work through all that stuff as well? So we have trainings for both serving in the ministry and mentoring, which is that is that one-on-one. Our volunteers go to the mom's home um, to meet with her. And a lot of times that's when you really encounter the fullness of what that young woman is, is walking in, walking through. So um, there's a, there's a variety of things. So there's uh, the whole immersion thing where I become incapacitated because of the, uh, you know, hugeness of, of your problems and how I can't fix them or I need to come in and um, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to buy you everything and uh, pay and, you know, pay your rent and take care of your kids um, because I can't bear to see what you're going through. And so, you know, one of the rules that cherish is that we want the moms to be stronger and more confident on the backside of them being part of this ministry. And if another person comes and takes over, especially for someone who's been abused, um, I'm just going to take over. I'm going to do everything. We're really communicating a message that you're not capable. And so there's, um, you know, in, in everything in the Christian life, there's uh, ditches on both sides, as they say, right? So we can, we can become overly involved. And, you know, um, she thinks that her child's being sexually abused at the dad's house, but the courts aren't agreeing with her. And I can't sleep. I can't deal. I, you know, I want to move her at, to another thing. And I want to, you know, go to the dad's house. And so you can see that over-involvement. Um, and, um, and then you can see judgment. So one of our qualifications at Cherish is, can you honor a person who's really broken and continues to make poor choices? But I talked to you, you didn't get better. Now I'm furious. Well, that your anger is an indication that this was about you. You're giving and serving to say like, I'm so good. I really impacted someone. I'm very effective because really when it's about serving Jesus through the person that he puts in front of you, why in the world would you be angry? So 
if we're angry at a person for their lack of progress, their speed of progress, um, and or whatever, that's really an indication that our heart has migrated from a place of wanting to serve Jesus to maybe feeling significant. Um, and so then that becomes a re repentance issue. So um, there's a lot of process. So for instance, in our mentoring program, we have a mentoring coordinator who's checking in with that mentor every week because of a number of things that you said, Andrew, because if you've gone through traumatic events and you're encountering someone who's incredibly traumatized and our mentoring materials are for discipleship for unchurched women with trauma. So because of that, if you have something that happened when you were 12 that you haven't thought of in 20 years, but now you're sitting with this person and their story is connecting you with, with memories or the materials are connecting you with sudden you know, memories, then that person needs support in their process. Um, we know that there's, when you reach outside of the church, there's always going to be spiritual resistance. So that's another reason that we're giving that level of support because a person who maybe they were serving at church, um, you know, greeting guests, and then you're going to an NSA person's house your spiritual resistance just <laughs> got boosted quite a lot. I don't know why this is happening in my family. I don't know, you know, what's going on so that we want to support that person in that process um, because we don't want them to quit. We don't want to give the enemy a blueprint on how to get us to quit in the future either. So, hey, just make a problem with my kid and then I'll quit whatever spiritual thing I'm doing. So. Um, and then um, helping people to see, we really get connected in the process of who Jesus is and how he responds to us. Sometimes people are you know, impatient, like I've already told her this two times. And then connecting them to, how many sermons have you heard about not making your possessions your identity? You've been saved 30 years. You've heard 15 sermons about this. So could you give away all of your possessions and still feel the same about yourself? Could you move to a terrible neighborhood and live in a, a small apartment or a flat and still feel positive about yourself? Why? You've heard so many good sermons. You, we're not living with the full truth that we've been given. And now you've been with this person for three weeks. And in 20 or 30 years, you haven't made it to implementing everything that God's told you. So let's be gracious. Right? So mm. um, there's, there's a lot of that. And this person's journey is not your report card. Your job is to love and to reveal Jesus. If you, if you make, you know, your child and your family or 
you know, or a person that you're discipling, your identity, you're doomed to failure. Hmm. So your your success is your obedience. So how long do they stay with that one person? Is it defined by time? Is it defined by the person that they're discipling? How, or is it a forever? What is the... What is the process once they're connected? So the process usually takes about uh, 10 weeks, but then because of the relationship that's developed, many of those are forever relationships. So um, because, you know, for people who've been wounded very deeply, their usual mechanism says, I'm never going to trust anyone again. When we don't trust anyone, we don't grow. When we trust the wrong people, then we're violated and, you know, harmed again. So being able to enter into a trusting relationship is one of the most important keys for healing. And so developing trust, which I think this is a... um, a really important thing in ministry when you're working with people who've experienced really deep pain is you need to be committed to building trust no matter how long it takes. Um, Because a person can't learn from you spiritually when they don't trust you. And for people who have, you know, very low trust, your process might be a long time but it's worth it just like the work that god does in us over time of teaching us to trust him takes a really long time frequently and many times we're extremely resistant so um that's a right daniela um has had uh, particularly young teenagers young women in her life been very wounded and um, she has ended up being very wounded by them over certain things and on one occasion she came back and she was just broken absolutely broken and she said nobody tells people that when you help wounded people you can end up being wounded too and it's a cost you have to count ahead of time you can't just give up because a wounded person wounded me so I'm not going to help anybody else but but it can be well really upsetting to put it mildly surely that must happen along the journey with some of these mentors with these girls yes and it does so I think Um, for me personally in that process, uh, the perspective is gigantic because I think about missionaries who, uh, leave their families and leave their possessions and leave food that they enjoy eating and they go to country and they, their blood, sweat and tears is shed there, um, to, reveal Jesus and to bring the gospel. And sometimes they're killed by the people that they're the very people that they're sacrificing for. 
obviously we go all the way, you know, to Jesus in, in that process. But the perspective of that, and, and one of the things that I do is I have quotes from great people in church history. When I'm personally overwhelmed by the brokenness, my keys are missionaries and great people from old who uh, were always persecuted and resisted and had the good that they were trying to do you know, turn, turn back on them. It gives me a lot of perspective for the unkind words or the disappointment or the whatever I'm going through in that moment. Now, as far as people who are just starting their journey, uh, then it's, it can be a lot more crushing um, because they don't have the perspective um, that I have from you know a couple decades of ministry to, to people who are broken. Um, so <clears throat> I think that, um, it's that can be really tricky because when we experience pain, the enemy always wants to put a message with the pain because you're experiencing this pain. And then because of the pain, sometimes we accept messages that are totally evil, that are totally lies, but the pain allows the message to go into our heart. I'm never going to blah, blah, blah again. Never going to extend myself for anyone. I'm only going to be working with, um, you know, the, um, the good enough. Okay, well, do you hear yourself? I'm only going to be working with people who have already, you know, I had someone tell me, like, I only enjoy working with people who um, are in the church. Hey, do you hear yourself? Go, go into all the world and speak amongst yourselves. Uh, <laughs> you know? Um, I think, so, too, what we forget is we're broken. Yes. Oh, it, 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 we're broken. I mean, go out there and find a person who's not broken, and actually they won't need you. So, I mean, yeah. It's... It, it's really true. I think that when you experience uh, re rejection or people um, turning on you or, you know, these things, it, it allows you to come into, to the, into Jesus in a, in a different way. Like generation after generation. I mean, where people are stupid in such predictable ways the fact that god has the patience to deal with another generation another generation after i mean we the dog returning to vomit is just the human experience right this brought me brokenness before how can i get back to that as soon as possible um and get the patience of god um <clears throat> and one night I got a call, it was like a, 11 o'clock at night or, or midnight. And uh, the person who was on the end of the phone was, you know, very excited, excited or whatever. I think that they were high. 
Rachel, I just really want to go to church. Just we've been talking about it, and we we need God, and we really want to go to church. And um, I said, "Well, do you know of a church?" They were living in a different state. Um, you know, do you know of a church by you? Like we haven't been to church here. Do you have Do you have transportation? No, we don't have any transportation. Or we we'll really want to go this Sunday. My cousin lived in that city. And so I called my cousin and I said, here's the number of these people. They, they said that they want to go to church. Ten to one, they're not going to go. But I still want you to arrange someone to pick them up. As a personal favor to me, even though I do not think that you're going to be successful, just out of your relationship with me, would you try? And the Lord spoke to me and said, that's what I ask of you every day. Just out of a, just out of our connection as a personal favor to me, you're probably not going to be successful, but just because of me, because I care about this person so much, would you try? And that statement has saved me over and over again. And uh, so that's something that I share with people when they really experience it. It's really loving Jesus because he sees this person. And just because we love him, he's asking us, will you try? So we can't get caught up in the success or failure it's it's about Jesus seeing this person and sending us to them. I love that. Will you do it as a personal favor mm. to me? As I say, Rachel, as as we're getting near the end, can you tell us a story or two of uh, because stories stories are very powerful. Uh, give us a story or two from Cherish of of. On the positive side of Women's what you've come seen. through. Yeah. People. Because um, just to, because you have had women go through and now they are volunteers. Yes. Uh, and help. So you've had people that kind of go right through the whole process and now are, are going back to help other people along the journey that they've just walked across. Yes. Um, I had... Um, there's someone I dearly love. She was 17 years old. She came to us when she was pregnant and uh, her boyfriend was in jail. And um, she came to Cherish. She got, she got built up and she had her baby. I think he was still in jail. When he came out, she said, I'm going to live for Jesus, not having sex again till I get married. And you're either going to get on board with this or God will give me someone better than you. And he got on board. Um, they got married. And uh, they have been serving as pastors. Wow. So um, she was one of 
of um, my favorites. I had a girl one time, she was going through mentoring with me. And um, there, there's this moment of the first chapter of our mentoring book is on salvation. And, um, and so there's a question that says, think about the worst thing that you've ever done. And so she, you know, it, it's not one of those things that you have to answer out loud. And um, so she told me, um, you know, this very cryptic statement. It's, you know, it's not, it's not what I've done. It's what I'm thinking about doing. Or it's what I'm going to do. That's a very interesting uh, thought. Um, anyway, she, um, the day before she had an abortion schedule, she had a toddler, so she couldn't bring, um, she couldn't, when she brought, she came to her abortion appointment with her toddler because she didn't have a babysitter. And they said, you can't have a child here. So she had to reschedule. She was planning on having an abortion before she was going to see me for her first mentoring appointment so that by the time she saw me, that it would have already been too late and whatever conviction came into her heart while we were talking, it, there was nothing that she could do. And um, so we sat there and had a conversation. And she chose to keep the baby. A couple, a few weeks later, she sends me an ultrasound picture and says, Rachel, I'm pregnant with twins. So that moment was not just about one baby, but about two. They were the cutest things on earth. Um, and she has, this girl is so anointed by God to speak. I say, girl, she's a woman now. Um, she's so gifted. And God has worked so powerfully in her life. I do think that she's like this torch for her, for her generation. And her life really turned at that moment. Wow. Um, there's so many. There was a girl that um, I don't know what the British equivalent to our foster care system is, but there's there was a girl who, um, she was in foster care, all of her siblings had been taken um, and she got pregnant and she was homeless. But there was a woman who served at Cherish who worked for Starbucks and um, she said, Rachel, I feel like God's putting this girl on this, you know, young woman at Cherish on my heart and that I'm supposed to give her a job. So I said, okay, go for it. You know, she, the girl's very smart, she's very capable, um, but she, you know, didn't have um, parents to cover and protect her, you know, growing up and, and was in some pretty tough circumstances. And so she gave her a job, the girl... Um, you know, at the beginning of her time being at Starbucks, um, she didn't 
have the right shoes for the job and the different things. And so this manager really worked with her to enable her to be successful. She did extremely well at Starbucks. She, you know, got a car, she got an apartment, um, she was promoted and she got her, she got custody of her sister to get her out of foster care. And what happened out of that is a program began at Starbucks through this manager to help um, young moms and foster care youth who might not have an opportunity at Starbucks otherwise to have preferential hiring under this program. So it's it's the spark of listening. And um, I totally believe, you know, there's a, a pastor that said one time, you know, when Jesus multiplied the fishes and loaves, why didn't he, why didn't he feed them Mexican food? So no one, we're all just looking at each other. We don't know the answer to this. And he said, because the fishes and loaves, the fish and loaves were what that boy had. God always will multiply what you have, not what you don't have. So what, what do we have? that he can multiply. We have love, we have kindness. Sometimes we have resources. Sometimes we have expertise. We have intercession. We have knowledge of the kingdom. God will multiply what you have if you will utilize it. But what you don't have, and and our focus can always be on what we don't have. If I, I was more like this, if I had this degree, this certification, if I were older or younger or thinner or smarter, what do you have that God can multiply? And are you willing to trust him enough to use what he's given you? Um, as, as we finish, um, there may be people listening that, that maybe you're interested in doing something like this where they are, um, but yes. have no idea how to even get started they have no materials they've got nothing to to help them uh, is this something you that you can do that you can help others to do this kind of thing um, presumably uh, they could go to the website and, and get in touch if, if they want to do something like that yes we have a start guide that would be the launch point which actually does point you to what are the needs in your community and what are the resources with you and your church so you're actually trying to pair you know, what's happening where you live, um, you know, which um, social services and the police, I mean, not many people stand and interview the police, but they're a great resource of what's happening in your community that you might not know about. Um, so there's a start guide. And then we have resources, we have um, the teaching tools, we have mentoring tools. So there's a lot that would help um, somebody to get started. We have moms that have come, I think from 36 or 39 cities in California to cherish. That is a disgrace because there ought to be a resource in their community that they can go to. Most young moms do not have their own transportation. We would love to see this not only multiply in cities and in communities and in towns, but across the nations, which we've we didn't get into that, but, but there is a bit of that as well, uh, where we worked with, um, you know, for instance, women who have had children in war zones 
Um, and neither their community, uh, you know, nor the community of the person who got them pregnant wants this child. And so really God's vision for that child coming in. Children are not valued by their circumstance or even how um, they were conceived. It's about recognizing God's plan for that child and us coming into agreement with that. So, um, and agreement for that mom, for, for God's purpose for her. So I would absolutely love to see Cherish multiplied across the globe, uh, particularly for women who conceive children in very adverse and difficult circumstances. They need people with God's eyesight for them and their child because they have a lot of voices in their life who believe that both they and their child um, are worthless. Uh, and so, um, yes, Andrew, if there's anyone who's listening that wants to start Cherish or, or a similar organization, similar ministry in their neighborhood, it's not complex. You know, you need availability and you need love. So, um, and, and we have the tools to get you started. Okay, so I encourage people that are interested either on that front um, or just in some kind of supportive role, uh, go to the description box. The link is there. Go have a look around the website. Rachel, thank you so much. It's always good to see you. Always good to chat. It's been too long, uh, but thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode. Remember, if it inspired you, share it with others so we can see more people engaged in this community.